Good morning, everyone. Actually, it's afternoon already, but we will not let that stand between us and victory here. It I'm is just March, waking up. It is March 30th, uh, 2048, and my name is David Paddock. To my left, we got Nicole Paddock. You're here. And to her left, we have Ryan Riley. Thematically consistent. Indeed. All right. Nicole, the Night Porter, what's it all about? Oh, man. So... This is probably the first movie we've selected that was by a female director. But don't fret. This is not a feminist movie, and this movie by no means passes the Bechdel test. <laughs> this is more of a this is more of a psychosexual Nazi, not necessarily sympath, Nazi sympathizer movie, but I mean, we get the perspective of what life was like trying to assimilate into culture, you know. After the rip-roaring times of the Nazi regime. Yes, the, the genre that is even rarer than the Nazi sympathizer film <laughs> is the Nazi empathizer film. Yeah. That's what we have here. It's very, very, very niche genre this is definitely, of media. This is definitely a niche film. And I selected this not because it's 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 a some sort of deep transcendental piece of cinema, but be, but because it's just... That's a movie I like watching about every eight years or so. <laughs> it stars Dirk Beauregard, mm-hmm. old classic Hollywood guy, Absolutely. Charlotte Rampling, who's actually still making a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Still very, uh, she works. Yeah, I mean, she's older, but she still works a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is by an Italian director. Liliana. Liliana. Lili- yes, Lili- Liliana Cavani. Uh, so this movie takes place in Vienna in 19... 19- 57 mm-hmm. in the Hotel de Oper. Yes. Yes. Hotel de Oper, yeah. <laughs> I think it's uh, I think it's German, Super. Yeah, well Austrian's Hotel like a Super. like a what like a it's like it's kind just of a bastardized German. version of German. Yeah. It's just yeah. German. They like to call it Austrian. Yeah. We know. <laughs> we know. It's even exactly. farther away from France. It's probably even more German than German is. And what we have is we have a hotel. We have a night porter played by Dirk Beauregard, and he is... Max. Max. Yes, he is. I know everyone has the most typical German names in this film, too. Hans. Klaus. Klaus. <laughs> Ernst. Uh. So, the thing is, though, like, we get this movie started off, uh, for one thing, it's a European film. And it, it, it feels very European. This is Which like means a stuffy feels... era of European, like... Yeah, it's like when you still had the high and low class, basically. Yes. And when we say European, we we typically mean slow movie, right? This is this is not a fast paced, no. quick edited. Oh, I was going to say we meant naked movie. Oh, but well, that too. That too. Yeah. That we're getting to that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it has definite like. Um, I mean, if you didn't, if you disliked it, it would be plotting. If you enjoyed it, it would be uh, meditative, you know? Like, yeah. but it, I think like <laughs> one of those. Yeah, one of the. It's somewhere in that extreme, this movie seems to exist. Is it an imitation or a knockoff? Depends on how much you like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> sort of deal. Um, so, but we kind of get kicked off, and it's funny. I thought of um, Grand Budapest Hotel, actually, when, when I watched this, because I hadn't watched this movie in about eight years. But, you know, we get that whole. We get introduced to Max, who, you know, goes up, and there's like the rich. American that lives in the hotel and would like sexual favors from Max, but they've got like a, a, you know, a side boy that they send up to service the older ladies in the hotel. So we got like this classic old European hotel kind of, you know, engagement going on. This is also the hotel where, you know, the conductors stay who do the nights at the opera. So we're talking about like, yeah, we're talking about like 
rich aristocracy here that that stay at this fine establishment. Yeah, if you've if you've never been in a hotel where the staff actually cares about you, it is an interesting like, experience. Yeah, like like actually waits on all of your needs, no matter how sadistic or bizarre they are. Well, and because like normally for most Americans, you go to a hotel, you check in. And then you wait to check out. You know, that's like their entire experience with the staff. Other but there's than maybe TV some, in between. Exactly. Yeah, you can watch some TV in the room, in my moldy room. And, you know, like, so, I mean, I'm going to say. You're, and you're, hope there's good shower pressure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hope there's good shower pressure. But, like, you know, it's just weird to, like, have a different kind of culture where, you know, the staff of a hotel is actually concerned about the welfare of their guests. Yeah. Um, so yeah. When I was in Europe, too, I noticed that in most of the hotels also, your key... It, you hand over your key to the front desk because it's you a leave. real key. Yes, it's an actual key, and they like put it up and such, and that's an actual thing. Whereas in America, you know, like anything, we get a credit card for a key that we keep in our person so we can swipe our room in and then throw it away. Yes, yeah. exactly, and then lose it drunkenly yeah. on in, on Bourbon Street. You know, like that's how we do yep. things here. So it's it's a little bit of a, a different type of society that mm -hmm. we're dealing with here. Post war, in fact, World yes. War Two, from my understanding. Yes, yes, post World War Two. Mm -hmm. So. You know, we get kind of introduced to this hotel life, and pretty early on, you know, we've got our American conductor and his wife checking in, and Max sees this woman, mm -hmm. and he has a flashback, and she briefly sees him too, and we know that there's some sort of connection between this very well-kept American director and wife that came in, and Max. Mm -hmm. and we, will, we will soon learn what kind of sordid tale these two had in the past by way of flashback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this movie is loaded to the gills with flashbacks. Uh, it's possible to do flashbacks well, and not that that's preloading my assessment <clears throat> of how well this movie did them, but... Uh, no, these flashbacks are very artsy and use camera angles that are very close up. And it's a flashback's a very, very lazy way to tell a story a lot of the time because you get the capacity at any moment well, when you did a- this is not a high energy movie. When, so it's it's obvious that a lazy way of going about this is very appropriate. It's it's just like from from the perspective of deciding what order to tell your story in, a flashback makes, it streamlines the hell out of that whole process. Because the second you need to refer to something, you just go, oh wait, I forgot to tell you this happened. <laughs> well, okay, but, okay, so when we're talking about how this movie sets up the basic story of Max and, I forgot her her character name. Lucia. 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 So, right, so, for the first about, it feels like hour, but it's probably only 30 minutes. For the first like, 30 minutes. <laughs> no, of, it actually, because it, it does get into their connection quickly, but not, uh, I mean, like, like, early, but not quickly yeah there's a really long hard to get sequence in yeah. the first half to full hour of this movie well and i want to kind of also i think i think it'd be good <coughs> thematically to kind of talk about right there's max and lucia's relationship but then i mean this movie is about max right like yeah yeah okay yeah. so i want to talk i want to talk about max as as in his character and situation i think as we go further in the story it will I'll, i think i think i'll, I'll go no, i think it rant. is because that's what that's what's so peculiar about this movie as sort of a nazi empathizer movie is we're really kind of seeing the struggle of nazis trying to integrate into regular life again yeah. after the war so yeah spoiler alert max is a, max is a former nazi yes and we learn this from our first flashback in which nazis which which max in his full nazi regalia mm -hmm. is filming a slew of prisoners that mm -hmm. are coming into whatever yeah, the camp, camp or whatever it is. that he plays 
a doctor. Yes, at. We, we are kind of informed that he was a doctor. But he's no, but he's not an actual doctor. He's not an he actual just doctor. he just played a Nazi doctor because he liked to fuck with people. Yeah. Nazi regime open to a career in ambition, not yes. talent, I, not talent. It just seems weird they wouldn't let him do it without that. Uh, like, I, <laughs> it can't be the standards can't have been that high. Yeah, once no. once you get to the camps, no, that's what I mean. Like, this ambition. is all about personality. Yeah, really. Nazis about ambition, not talent. Like, I, I have right. to imagine at some point you go over to the wardrobe. It's like, can I borrow this? And they're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and you just you go about your way. So, but in in the revelation of this of this early relationship that of of it. Um, it is, I think, interesting because we are heading to kind of a big reveal and we want to kind of take it thematically where we kind of like, because I want to talk about the flashbacks. Okay. Yep. Let's so, start because the flashbacks I mean, are the heaviest flashbacks in the go, beginning. Uh, they're all over the movie. Though. Yeah. So the flashbacks inform us that there is a connection between the two main characters. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I do think that David is right where, you know, there are, I, I think the two most overused and um, over relied upon aspects of filmmaking is the flashback uh, and uh, narration. I was going to say the yeah. voiceover. Yeah. yeah, the voiceover narration. I think these two things are over relied upon in a lot of ways. To where you could you could always I think rightly propose to a film: Could you have done this differently? Could you have done this better um, without using it? Right. And, and you know, but like something like uh, Serenity that we watched as mm -hmm. well, like the use of flashback in that. I think once again you know, kind of broke the mold and presented it in, in, a, in a unique way, regardless of how well we feel it accomplished its goal is a different matter. But the way in which flashback is, is performed here is that it is, I think, revealing a, the connection between the two actors, which I agree could have been done by acting, you know, like <laughs> by the acting of these two people, like being shown a scene. But what's unique about this film is that when... You know, it uses the kind of, of far angle, close angle, uh, excuse me, far uh, far um, framing, close framing of the characters to kind of reveal their emotional states. And when the reaction of these two people uh, seeing each other for the first time, it is in a kind of close up. And so we don't, uh, the filmmaker, I think, I think rightly wanted to kind of, or and I think what she was trying to accomplish was showing that there is an extreme distance between people in their emotionality in this film. And so the point is, is that we don't necessarily see the reaction of the actors to each other in this film, especially in the early part. No, they're at a distance from each other, and it is the flashback that kind of reveals the import of their meeting, right? And that's what I think, because there's a distance, there's a separation between not just the two main characters, but like a lot of characters as well. Oh, yeah. This, I mean, all of these people are, are d definitely uh, emotionally distant mm -hmm. in some peculiar ways i mean even our two main characters when their relationship gets going it's still weird and distant yet close and ambiguous and confusing well that life's supposed to be behind everybody yeah i mean we're supposed to be 10 20 years hence from the emotional climax of everybody's lives here um whether you were a Nazi or not yes. um, or just survived the ordeal yeah, yeah and they're the other theme that swirls around in this movie which i think is exceptionally poorly designed but nonetheless is needs to be uh needs to be discussed yeah. because it matters it matters beyond the uh, the lucia and max angle and it's the reason max is probably the main character is that klaus and hans and all the other german names uh are all also nazi officers and they're conducting a mock trial for max that is two-pronged in its purpose the first one is to 
burn all the evidence that uh, of any wrongdoing in the event that some trials happen to uh, come yeah, along in the right, future. We're right in the middle of the Nuremberg uh, situation so, here. So you, what we what happens though is that like the like not. Max and his Nazi cabal, right? His yeah. his contemporaries okay. in the in okay, the so movement. Okay, we're jumping we're jumping into that. Yeah, 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 okay. Well, no, that's that's okay. I want to I want to set that up because that okay. that technically gets alluded to before Lucia even shows up on state on screen. I'm pretty sure Klaus shows up first. Well, and what what also we're shown too is that uh, that this is staged out, right? The re- the revelation of the trial and Max being under investigation by these people. Yeah, it's not yeah. immediately apparent no, it's that not, they I mean, are Nazis it, as well. It's not immediately apparent, but it's worth it's worth laying out the purpose. Absolutely, yeah. initially. Because it uh, is the biggest part of the story other than it, the relationship, the really. Yeah, it's, it's the other driver. Um, yeah. And Klaus is basically, you know, he's an axe slash hitman who uh, goes around and destroys evidence. But then there's also the psychological side of it where even though everyone in, a, in an almost out of left field scene on a rooftop uh, salutes the, uh, the once in future Fuhrer, uh-huh. um, it's clear they all want to be Nazis, but they also want to absolve themselves of any sins that they may have perpetrated. So the trial serves to make them face their evidence and then to destroy it. Yes. Yeah, it's um, like basically a way to put the stuff to sleep. And of course, you know, these Nazi meetings also occur at this fine hotel yeah. in secret. Mm-hmm. And apparently have been going on there for a while yeah. since... Uh, they apparently always takes place in the same room. Yep. Well, and that Max seems to be one of the last people in this group who has not gone. Yeah, who has this not gone through this process as yeah. well. Process. And he seems a little hesitant to go through this process. You know, I, I, even at the beginning, he's he's not thrilled about it. But then once he sees Lucia, he becomes really not wanting to kind of. Open up about yeah because they're gonna these want past man, transgressions. That's a, this this fucking movie's good. I gotta tell you guys, <laughs> this is a good well, I'm movie. I'm glad you enjoyed it no. better than everything else I've picked. No, uh, well, yes. Uh, well, you finally, got, you finally got one right, Nicole. Like, let me just give oh, you a round, thanks, round thanks, of applause. Thanks. No, um, I do. I so. What is so? I mean, so obviously, dear dear listeners, you've realized that this is a movie about Nazis. It's about the it's about the Holocaust and its, it's effects. It's not really about the Holocaust. We're gonna we're gonna have some fun with this movie, uh, and you know that's okay, right? <laughs> I just wanted to let you know that that's okay uh, because I think what this movie is trying to accomplish is first off, it's not some definitive statement about the Holocaust. So I'm going to talk about the giant elephant yeah. in the room, which is the Holocaust here. Um, there's not even Jews in this movie. Well, that's what it appears to be like. Yeah. You know, like the 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 way in which this the, this like you know humanitarian the the tragedy of humanitarian tragedies is the Holocaust. And so I've been doing some reading about these about these things since we've saw, seen this movie. And one of the most damning kind of quotes about the about the problem of why the Holocaust is still being talked about. Um, one commentator I read said, you know, the problem with the Holocaust is that it happened. All right. And the fact that this is rather different than a kind of like, um, you know, seeming because when you look at like atrocities and tragedies of the past, they are oftentimes disconnected. They are usually tight, concentrated bursts of emotionality. Right. Like in ancient times, you'd have the slaughtering of a city after a, the sacking and slaughter of a city after a siege. You know, the fact what is so unique and strange about the Holocaust is it's systematized, mechanized, and that deliberate. It was, and that it didn't happen very long ago. Well, that exactly as well, right? That this thing kind of came around. And, you know, it's it's bizarre in the way that it was executed. And like I said, the problem with the Holocaust is that it happened. And that there's something about 
about that. The about fact hum- that somebody could pull this yeah, off. Yeah, there's something about yeah. human nature that is a little bit revelatory in the fact that it happened. And the reason that we continue, I think, to kind of digest it as a culture is to understand the intense complexity of what these things are because it is, like a lot of things in life, very complex. But unfortunately, the singular effect of this has been so dramatic as well as so, as so at a, as a scale and moral concept and, and, and meaning separate from a lot of what has come before it. And that's what's so disturbing about the thing. Well, and I, I also wanted to note about the director, um, you know, because although this is a bit of a left field sort of a Nazi style movie, you know, the, the horrors of the Holocaust were not lost in her because she did do two documentaries on the Holocaust for Italian TV, you know, prior to making this film. So, you know, she was well aware of and had produced material on this before. Um, so this is... You know, it's not flippant. Yeah, it's not like done. It's not done in a way that is, you know, because the the idea of it being disrespectful or offensive to someone who has a particular view of the Holocaust. I, you know, one of my favorite books, uh, one of my favorite pieces of fiction is William Gass's The Tunnel, and the basic idea of of the tunnel as a kind of like fictional narrative, fucking you know monolith, <laughs> monolith, the gravestone of humanity, is that it is saying that. It's bigger than any one person's view on it. And so, you know, when you are kind of approaching this film and you're approaching films about the Holocaust, there's this statement of like, you know, because like, I think it's accurate to say as well that movies that try to find touches of humanity in the Holocaust are also rather trivial as well. Yeah, I don't like those We could talk about Schindler's List. We could talk about Life is Beautiful. And this is a big theme in the 90s, which is that. You know, we're going to examine and look at the Holocaust to find some good that happened from it, right? That's why Anne Frank is kind of like classically held up, despite the fact that her experience and her story is rather atypical of the larger concept. But yet, at the same time, it still fits in because it is this just this massive, massively complex social phenomenon. And so when we approach The Night Porter... The fact that it it is, I think, and you know, like we talked before about a genre of Nazi exploitation. Yeah, right? yeah. I don't think that there's, it, it, there's a way in which that can be true, but I don't. I think Nazi empathizer, the the phrase I kind of came up with, I think that's a little bit better of a term for it. But, no, this is not Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, this don't is get not, hung up yeah, on it. Yeah, this is not going back and like re envisioning how we could have hil- killed Hitler in a fun way. Like that's not what this movie is at all. Right, and even then, you know, Inglorious Bastards. You know, has its place, right? Yeah. Has its kind of emotional context for the Holocaust, because I'm hesitant to look at anything about it, about this kind of issue in and as a, in the realm of human experience as well, and say that you know this doesn't belong, this is bad. I mean, you, I've been looking up some of the commentary. People talk about this film as if it's a crime, right? That this is something that should not exist, that is this damnable, is, that is immoral. This movie is racy. Yes, like this is at like best. an immoral movie yeah. that is being watched here. And I gotta say that this is like really intriguing to me. You know, well, like, yeah, this is I, I read a lot. Like people film. call it like yeah, transgressive. I came up a lot, um, mm-hmm. and definitely the issues of morality came up. And uh, granted, Lucia and Max's you know relationship, it is not healthy. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't delve into those areas. And I think that that's what's part of so rich and unique about this, too. So we we talk about it cinematically. But then as we're, like, revealed what's going on here, this movie has some complexity to it that I think is, for those with a reactionary mindset or for those whose perspectives, I think, are, are designed to reinforce their own predilections, right, this film can be easily rejected. Right. The harder thing to do is to try to accept and understand this movie. And that's how I think you can kind of gauge your open mindedness 
as a person <laughs> is by watching The Night Porter and trying to kind of see what's going on in this film and looking at it from different perspectives. And that's what I think we should try to endeavor to do here. And I don't think it's possible to like to refer back to your notion of yeah, the Holocaust not fitting in with any individual human view. I mean, to stack onto that, if ever so briefly, I mean, the Holocaust is a systematic cold method of exercising mm -hmm. a supreme hatred, yes. which is something that in human history is exceptionally uncommon. You normally, normally in the heat of the moment, you have to act in the heat of that moment, whereas with this particular event, it took place over years to such an extent that there was a logistical nightmare involved in executing it. Yes. Like that's, that's how cynical and insane it became. And this movie exemplifies one side of that where you can't, you can't take one perspective there because the notion of killing this many people requiring this kind of effort and paperwork effectively uh, despite the fact that it is fueled entirely by an irrational, insane hatred, mm -hmm. um, there's no there's no singular way to look at that. You have to you have to deflect at yeah. some point for that to make sense. And in this movie, to take one line on what is going on is impractical because you can't you can't side with anyone in this movie in some yes, completely exactly. axiomatic way. No, I mean, can't. even if you're rooting for Max to succeed, he's still trying to get away yeah. with. War crimes. And yes. you're not, you're not, yeah, you're not necessarily rooting for anyone in this movie. No, and it, and it's, it's, well, that's part of the issue too, yeah. is that you, you know, the fact that there is no hero in a Holocaust movie, the fact that there, <laughs> the fact that seemingly as well, there is no victim, right? And this is how I've heard people kind of talk about this issue. The fact that there's no victim. And I think no that's, victim. that's the hardest part for people to deal with because when you initially, when Max and Lucia um, initially see each other, you know, she talks about wanting to leave. And you think that it's because she is now terrified because she saw her captor. So you feel like she is going to be the victim. And mm -hmm. the movie completely turns that on its head. Yes. And, and, in, and, a, in a really uncomfortable sort of way. Well, we, we are exposed to the kind of flashbacks that I think are very stark, right? There are you know, naked people being filed in. We see and Max's like Nazi uniform in his in his almost grotesque fascination. He's got a camera. Oh, he's getting he's right up a, in these people's yeah, faces. Like They're naked them. in line. Oh, man. And like, so it's entirely discomforting and it is exposing the kind of inhumanity that we are coming to expect from the experience of any time we see the Holocaust portrayed in media. So we're kind of given what we expect and you might be fooled into thinking that this is like, another Holocaust movie. <laughs> and then, but this movie does not allow that to happen, right? It, it tells us very early on that this is not going to be just another Holocaust movie. And I think this is what is so typical as well, because like anything in film, you know, the Holocaust has its own tropes, its own, um, its own uh, uh, stereotypes, uh, and its own conventions. And we, I think we and have people to have, and, and there is kind of like a canned way that people approach it. Like you said about finding like the one hero mm -hmm. and focusing on, you know, the, whatever triumph of the human spirit for that particular survival story. Like that's usually how it's approached. Well, and I think that what is uncomfortable for people is to kind of pose to them, is that moral to reduce this thing to something that can be re reproducible, right? Like is is it appropriate or moral to formalize to formalize uh, you know the holocaust because that's what media has done to it right it has formalized it it has packaged it 
It has it is it is we have a made specific a way that we're allowed to feel about it, and it's made it into a consumable, and that is that is immoral as well, I think. And so, okay, now that well, we've well, and it's <laughs> it's it's funny you mention it in in the context of referring to other movies. I think I think if if this movie is guilty of anything on the front of using the Holocaust, is that I find that to just be very lazy. Yeah, well, and for it, a lot of films, it is lazy. Like, oh, without yeah, like, question. It's like throw a Nazi as your villain, and it's like you don't need to set up a villain. You know, they yeah, come no. prejudged. Mm-hmm. Imagine the worst. Here it is. Yeah. This is all. This is all you need. Mm-hmm. Like it's it, it covers a whole lot of the backstory and setup for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it, again, in a very lazy way. No, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And that's once again problematic because it doesn't doesn't fully flesh out the kind of issues that are developed from that, and it takes the kind of. It, it's just unfortunate that that's happened because I don't think it does any sort of benefit to a society to kind of reduce an experience of something that's imp- of that that is that important to that kind of just simplified. Like I said, I have to bring it back to a consumable manner that we can just check out with some Holocaust at the at the at the grocery store, take it back and and un- and try to just and feel the same feeling. Go home and feel bad about yes, it. Yes, feel the same on. feeling over yeah. and over again. Yeah. So, but it's an, easy. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. But in an effort to kind of see or flesh out what's going on here, Nicole, right, we are exposed to this relationship that develops here. So yeah, Lucia so- has not a, is not necessarily, um, is both a victim, uh, but also a participant in this. And this is what I think is important. Yeah, so too. this is where it gets a little weird. So, you know, we, <laughs> I guess. the least. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, okay, so we kind of introduced. We have Max. He has, you know, the background of him and his Nazi friends doing their mock trials mm-hmm. to burn evidence. You know, this is happening in the back uh, conference rooms of the hotel. Lucia, who has seen Max, is going through a flood of emotions. At first, she wants to leave the hotel. And then she's kind of like, well, maybe I'm going to hang out here a little a little longer. We also learned some fun stuff about Max because uh, his compatriots like to joke about how much fun Max had tormenting and killing all of his quote-unquote patients mm-hmm. as he was a quote-unquote doctor back at this camp. And they need to make sure that none of these patients have uh, – make sure that they're all dead so that none of them can come and – possibly, mm-hmm. you know, uh, rat on him, rat on him during like a real Nuremberg trial. So mm-hmm. that's, that's really kind of the, the things we have at play right here. Max's cohorts, of course, do not know that Lucia is alive, nor do they know that she is in the same hotel that they are having these meetings at. Yeah, rather coincidentally. Yeah, as, the, as yeah. his trial. So all the, of this converges the, kind of on on one happy weekend. Mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> at the Hotel de Apur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Okay. So you know. So we we see that there's. I want to bring in uh, the one other kind of gender bending character because he has some good dance scenes right at the beginning. Bert. Bert. So I really love this character. We see uh, there's this weird scene where he comes up to to Max and he's like, "Are you going to do the lighting tonight in my you know in the room?" And Max is like, "Why, yes, of course." Mm-hmm. And then we cut to a room. The a nor- se- a hotel room. Uh, yeah, it's just a hotel room. <laughs> the semi semi naked Bert. It's probably been set up that way for five some years. Excellent, mm-hmm. excellent ballet as Max just holds the spotlight and watches it. It's kind of this, this, this like, you know, uh, this voyeuristic dance that they go through. Bert is obviously homosexual. Thespian, mm-hmm. at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, and clearly, 
you know, after all these years of Max holding the light for him, would really like just love to to engage with Max. Though Max seems to have always just kept this voyeuristic relationship professional. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. But then when we cut, he we, is the night porter. Yes. But then when we we cut, we get to see where this behavior started from, and then we get a bigger room in our concentration camp flashback. And it's surrounded by all the Nazi officers and Bert, again, full makeup, mostly nude. Performing for them, performing a this, dance number this, for them. This beautiful, he's a very good dancer. This is part of why I like it, ballet you yeah. know, training. But, you know, he gives this very elegant, elegant uh, ballet performance for all these officers. So evidently, he has been going through this song and dance for a long time. Um, and this is just, this, this like, this is just part of of what gets him off, basically. Um, and it has, it has not died easily, even he is, post-war. Yes, the natural performer. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even actually show, other than Max, they don't show any of the atrocities that the other characters have done, though we are told explicitly by Bert that there was something in his past. Yes. So it's not like he was just being a ballet dancer in these camps. He was he no, was but, also involved no, but he, at some yeah, point. Yeah, he's part of the transgression, but like I said, it's, you know... It, it, it it still carries with him. Like he he still kind of reenacts some of this. And there there are a couple of scenes in a weird gender bending type of way. Well, and there are a bunch of scenes that are related to that one, including the title card scene where uh, Lucia is dancing around, uh, mostly nude with slacks and a Nazi hat on, um, and everybody's wearing these masks, and it's it's got a very debauched well, vaudevillian feel well, that's, to it. Well, that's that's yeah. that's that's the <laughs> climax of our flashbacks because at first Lucia doesn't talk. Like you know, our first flashback, Max oh, I, is I discovering to, I just, her. I just wanted to connect okay. to it because yeah. Lucia, yeah. we're gonna have to get into separately. I was just I was just saying for the purpose of explaining the the fact that Bert is dancing mostly naked in front of all these officers. There's a recurring theme that Max is not the only perverted fuckhead yeah. in this group. No. Okay. Okay, yeah, no, I wanna, yeah, I'll talk about that. Well, in the what end. is? Well, no, I, I think I think now is the time to right, talk, about talk about it about because Nazi decadentism, decadentism, because is that what we're getting decadence. into now? Because decadence? Bird exemplifies it. Yes. Bird is the character that that most broadly displays that. Because Max, Max is a very blasé looking person. He looks like an extra in normal life. He looks like the person. He looks like the night porter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yet he is apparently at least as fucked up as anyone else in this crew. Bert does the worst job hiding it of anyone in this crew. And he wears it on his sleeve still. Um, and it it's very strongly implied with when the doctor comes in, I forget whether the doctor's Hans or Klaus, it's probably Hans, um, that a major component of this that is stressed quite heavily in the room during the mock trial is that this is supposed to be a catharsis, that they're supposed yeah. to be getting rid of some kind of... Of whatever burdens they're still carrying from... To, to put the screws back in that are still apparently not there. And that is not... I. If there is a point in this movie that shows restraint that I can actually appreciate, <laughs> um, it is that they only allude to the way in which this was corrupting the officers uh, to have to go through this on a daily basis. They only allude to it silently in these scenes, like with Bert dancing mm. in front of all these officers for no stated reason. or for And they, they don't look disgusted. They're just watching him yeah. do it. 
Um, and in the same scene with uh, Lucia, she's dancing around, and all these guys are like dressed up, and there's they like, got their party masks it's like on, like a band thing going on. It's a little cabaret action in the concentration camp. But, th- but that is the most <laughs> subdued way they could have approached <laughs> revealing that. Yeah. Um, it, it was that was I, I appreciated that restraint. <laughs> So, okay. So Max is the night porter, right? Yeah. From which the movie is named itself. There is essentially thematically there is um, Max's uh, the the hotel is the main scene from which a lot of if, or the main place most of action, action for takes most place for the from first two thirds of the movie. The last third happens at his apartment. Um, Max is the night porter. He is not the day porter, right? He is the night porter. Uh, the idea that you would be the caretaker over the evening hours, right? The darkness hours uh, of the part of the day in a hotel. Part of that is metaphor because he's also hiding. He likes to hide in the dark. Yeah, he chooses this role. And yet yes. at the same time, he is servicer to these people because every character, it seems, that he interacts with in the hotel. Um, you know, you mentioned the the, the dancer, the, uh, the aristocratic old woman, all of the people and investigators of his committee that we see coming in and out. All of these people are also residents at the hotel as well. Max himself seems to be imprisoned and not only imprisoned, but is also caretaker to this vast cadre of fucking bizarre characters who have retained much of the deviance that allowed them to become Nazis in the first place. The way that Nazism and specifically the, the, the way that these Nazi officials are kind of presented is in a system that has seemingly allowed their perversion. And a lot and, of them are living under they, false names, too. Like, Max is living under, like, a pseudonym, basically, so that he can hold this position. But it, it's, I think it best represents the kind of idea that, like, what we're shown here is that, you know, Nazism, as it's presented to us, is a type of system that has allowed these people's deviant behavior to come to the surface. And, in fact, maybe has even allowed the more deviant among them to be successful. And this is what we're kind of shown here is that the night porter is, you know, once again, he holds the light for the dancer, mm-hmm. right? He is taking care and servicing the woman who just wants to be screwed by, you know, a, you know, the boy. Yeah. Right. That he is servicing the very people. I mean, Max, I, you know, I think it's rightly kind of say Max is a kind of prisoner here, right? He himself is now, I mean, I think it's a little, a little trite to say this, but, <laughs> you know, he's a prisoner of his past. Yes. Right. He is, he is. It being promised a method of a way of escaping or at least absolving, I think, right, uh, abs- yeah. absolution of, a, of his past. He's a bit of a prisoner to his own deviance, too, which is why this trial thing is so stressful for him. But yet we've kind of seen that he has reserved himself a little bit, right? He is always well done up. He is, he, we see him constantly fidgeting, right? He's, he's, he's cleaning things methodically in the, his mannerisms and the way that he interacts with people. He has, he is, he is, re- restraining himself it appears yeah and this is what the appearance of luciana we see that clearly distresses him and we immediately assume that he's concerned that you know this will in fact uh lead him to actual justice right because the absolution that the that this mock trial is presenting him is only an absolution within the context of you know it's like being forgiven by other Nazis for being a Nazi. Yeah, where what, it, in the absolution it, we think he's afraid of is the fact that no actual justice is represented by the true moral morality of society is what's going to you know bring him down, right? That he's going to be executed for the war crimes that he committed, right? So we're you know he's seemingly afraid of both, but what is so I think unique about this is that no, it's not about putting something behind him. 
It's not about being absolved of past acts. What Luciana represents is the same kind of deviance and monstrousness that is still within him yeah. and within these other people that he's going to reconnect with through her. Mm -hmm. And this is what I think is so fucking neat about this is that justice and absolution are these kind of things we think we're actually afraid of. But no, right? What is so concerning about the Holocaust and, and the idea is that it is something that is there and can be brought out again. Right? And this is what Luciana represents to him and what she actually turns out to be is a way to reconnect with the very nature that allowed him to behave the way he did during World War II. It's fucking really cool. This is a psychological thriller. And to tack on to the character of the catharsis that the other Nazis have indulged and Max has not, Max doesn't seem to believe in any form of salvation. Yes. No, he's not buying into the fact that there's going to be some catharsis at the end of, of you know, whatever this mock trial and evidence shit is. And especially since seeing Lucia, he also doesn't know that she's not here to come and, you know, testify against him initially. Well, and also the complexity, too, because at the end, as they're continuing, as this group is continuing to pressure him to go under, uh, up through with this trial and his resistance... This is after he's established this more formal relationship with Lucia, Lucia, Lucina? Lucia, Lucia, right? The final confrontation with the whole group on the rooftop, right? He even like almost tricks them because they're trying to convince him this is good. You need to do this. And Max gives the Heil Hitler and they instinctually give it back to show that like they're not like new people. Yeah. Right? They're not like they haven't like learned from the past. In fact, I think one of the characters even says we're fucking proud of it. Yes. Like we, we accomplished something, <laughs> yeah. you know? And Max is clearly, if anything, he's he's admitted the kind of personal, the personal monstrosity within him that allowed him to do it. But he refuses to buy into the kind of institutional pride that allowed it to manifest itself in the first place. He's he's not gone. I mean, once again, these guys maybe act moral lives, right? They are good, you know, they don't kill people anymore, but yet they're proud of being Nazis. Max is not proud of being a Nazi and yet has been unable to suppress the fucking demons that allowed him to succeed in that system. I don't, I don't know that I, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a theory. I, yeah, I, that's I don't, a theory. I don't know that I, I don't know <laughs> that I buy that, that interpretation of the way Max was talking. I think Max is, and this goes back to the salvation point. I think the other characters indulged in a cognitive dissonance of believing they were free of sin. And yet, as Klaus says, if he had the option, he would do it all over again, exactly the way he did it the first mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And then they all salute. Um, I, That's when Max does yeah, it. Yeah, Ma yeah, Max, like Max does the salute. But I get the impression that Max has, even if he has guilt of being a Nazi, he is he is simply, unlike the other characters, um, and it's, you know, it, it's maybe a bit of a stretch to call it intellectual honesty, but he just, he does not believe in the capacity for the guilt of the deed to be undone. Well, especially by their own, right? Like he's, I think he yeah. is afraid I, well, of being no, hanged think, for these things. Yes. But especially but, oh, yeah, he's being judged I mean, by he, other Nazis. He's yeah. definitely <laughs> afraid of having to, you know, pay for for past uh, sins. No, that, that's the thing. He's a, he's a serious, like he's intellectually honest, but he's also a complete moral coward. He is yeah. not willing to face those crimes no. by, by Nazis or by the police. No, I mean, to he the just, extent. He just wants to live his own life I mean, now. Yeah, it, to the extent that he actually killed, there is one witness uh, that is still living that they're aware about. That's not Lucia. Yeah, he's like an, he's an Italian. Cook. He's like yeah. a cook. Yeah, that yeah. was a, at the at the seemingly and, at the same institution they were at. Yeah, and uh, 
And Max goes as far as to kill him on a fishing trip, like halfway through the movie, just to make sure that... that, that to prevent the to trial prevent from going the forward. To prevent the trial going forward, because they can't do it if they don't have a witness. Mm-hmm. Which lends some credence to the idea that he doesn't actually feel guilty about any of this. It's <laughs> for uh, this the, again, I I wish the execution in this movie in a variety of ways was better, but thematically, <laughs> thematically Max is a beautifully ugly character. Oh yeah. Like he is so he's not like anti-hero has come to mean a badass. Max, he's not a badass. Max is an actual anti-hero. Yeah. He he has done horrible things. He does not seem to care that he's done horrible things. He just wants to get away with it. Well, and and, and he just yeah, and he just wants to continue without being hassled about it. Like it crushes it crushes him that he can't be in the light, but that's only in a completely self-serving manner that he does not want to have justice exacted upon him by anyone. Yeah. He and I think too that there's a kind of way in which this can be I think maybe universalized or at least applied to our own experience as Americans. Um you know, our own experience in having to, like, reconcile with our history. Um, you know, so we had a president recently, uh, you know, named uh, Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And uh, he went to Hiroshima, right, where the United States yeah. dropped a nuclear bomb on Japan during World War II. And the idea that that the United States has needs some sort of absolution for incinerating 80,000 people with a bomb... You or know, can get it. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is offensive to even our own American society. And Jesus Christ, this is 1945, right? This is 2017. Same, same time period. And this still, well, it's, it's, yeah. it's you know, there's there's plenty of atrocity to go around in World War II. I looked up, I was just some cursory numbers. 70 million people dead in six years. Yeah, that's a lot of people. 70 million people in six years. Russia so, still hasn't recovered from all the people they killed during that. <laughs> but the idea that like it is a political controversy to be to ask for absolution, the idea that you would even need to do that in America for, you know, dropping nuclear bombs on people, the only country that's dropped nuclear bombs on people, right? The idea that there that we <laughs> as Americans, as the victors, have some sort of absolution necessary to do this, right? Like it is like still politically controversial to even suggest this in our own culture. And so I think that this is what, you know, the idea that like this is like, once again, the only crimes committed or crimes committed are by the losers in a war, right? This is clearly a little facile of an idea here. And well, I think The Night Porter, it, as as an English language film, yes, is trying to kind of be a little bit more universal in its approach and, and its themes as well. Are we still talking about... Yeah, still, this is... So <laughs> we haven't even started no, talking about the relationship. No, okay, which is this most is what of I'm really af- this is what I'm that's what I'm actually really afraid of because like I think <sighs> that's next. Yeah, yeah. all right. We have up. to talk about Lucia at some point. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, I'll start if you don't okay, want to. Well, I'm just all right, so just a caveat here. Um, I, I think I have been trying to avoid this intellectually, like trying to like talk about this to a certain extent. So I'll tell you what, I'm gonna. <sighs> All right, I'll start. Yeah, I'm going to say something controversial. Lucia was successfully kinked into a uh, perverted little girl in a concentration camp. There's no specific evidence that well, she was she, one way or the other, but we might no, as well, well assume yeah, that she, she is, was a normal person yeah, until well, this happened she was, to her. Well, she was the daughter of an Austrian socialist, which is how she ended up in said camp. Mm-hmm. She was obviously very young, and Max... Kind of 
Takes a shine takes to her. Takes a shine to this young, wafy Austrian girl. Um, and, you know, we learn this through various flashbacks where we see, and I do want to make a comment just on the performance by Charlotte Rampling as Lucia. This is probably the least amount of energy exuded in a movie ever. <laughs> she, she literally is kind of, she's like, she's there and she just kind of sits there while the things happen around her. She does not exert on anything. Look very down much. into the left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Look down into the right this time. All right. Yeah. We got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so through a, uh, a buildup of flashbacks, we see that Max takes a liking to Lucia while she's in the camp. And, you know, he does, he does various things to torment her, but doesn't go as far as to kill her. We see where she's running around naked in a room and he's shooting at her, but deliberately missing her. And he's just kind of like gauging her reaction as she hides and runs around. We see her, you know, awkwardly... Uh, get bandaged by him from a wound. You know, we see that there's kind of this relationship building. Um, and and initially when they meet in the hotel, we don't know if this is a contentious, re- like how she feels about this, because she does say that she wants to leave. But then we notice that Max is kind of following her and looking in on her, and she she doesn't leave Austria. She lets her American conductor go, and she said she's going to stay a couple days. Well, she, the, the, key, the key kind of scene is, is that, they recognize each other. They kind of dance around each other, like once again, fearful or unaware, because neither of them are aware of what the reunion will actually portend. Mm-hmm. Um, so he decides to take the initiative, and he goes to the opera that her husband and, and is performing, her, yeah, performing in, and she's there. He sits there, and you know, r- rather creepily, just stares. Yeah, at it, it, stares it's, at it's him, a pretty creepy scene. Like he's definitely a creeper in that but one, just staring abs- at her the whole time. But once again, to exert the kind of influence over her that he had previously yeah. as well. For what I mean, once again, I yeah, think it's his- all nonverbal. But he definitely has control of her because when they finally do meet, mm-hmm. you know, she's at the hotel by herself and she tries to get a telegram out to. Her husband and Max is basically cutting these calls off and mm-hmm. then he finally just goes up to the room unannounced with the key, walks in and he's like, no, you don't get any calls to Germany. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we kind of, you know, so their initial meeting is, it's a little awkward. He basically walks in, like punches her in the face and is like, <laughs> are you here to turn me in, you stupid bitch? Yeah. And instead, she kind of falls into him and is like, no, I'm not sure why I'm here. Mm -hmm. And they sort of embrace after that. And that's when we kind of learned that, though not a healthy relationship, these two definitely have a relationship. relationship. (laughs) It it wasn't quite demonstrated, and there are reasons to believe that it would have been, but uh, Lucia doesn't love Max. No, she, this is more of a Stockholm. Yeah, this is this is explicitly a Stockholm yeah. syndrome, and this that's what makes this. You know, it suddenly who do you latch onto? Max has proven to be this coward that you really shouldn't root for, and Lucia in this scene demonstrates that she is willing to fall back into a moral morass, whether it's her fault or not. Of course, I mean she's she, she is a victim in some sense, but the way that she is now suddenly owning her victimhood. Yes in this scene uh, flips, it, it certainly flips the moral compass a couple of times. 
um, for for a normal audience. At the very, I, I understand why people got mad at this part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that not merely that there are no heroes, but that Lucia is preventing us from empathizing with her by being okay with all of this. Yeah. And it, it seems, and it's not like she might overcome it at some point. She actually appears to have been permanently corrupted in some way, in a lot, very much the same way that Max is corrupted. But Max at least recognizes it. Lucia spends the first she's half almost of the like, movie. I mean, she's almost just like powerless to it, really, is you know But she's letting it she's still letting but it. But that, that's what to I mean, her. powerless in that in that like, you know, you don't you know, you 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 let it happen to you because that's kind of what you want. Like she's definitely not fighting. And she's the one who chose to stay at the hotel. You I know, mean, longer it, than she had to. It gets to the point where she is an actual actor by the end of the movie yeah, in yeah. the in the masochistic side of it at the very least and to some I degree mean, the same yeah, masochistic in, in, side. Yeah, initial, initially, she, you know, she kind of lets herself be taken in. But yeah, she is definitely, uh, you know, she's she's an active, you know, co-conspirator by the end of the movie. The, the problem is that in order to, the, the moral question that Lucia ends up bringing to the movie, which again, it's it's one step too far for any single movie normally to tackle is that or, or, is she allowed to own this is that is that okay I, I think the other egotistical thing is to ask do we have a right as the audience to hold her in judgment yeah to blame yeah. her and this is what you know most people watching this movie will want to do is to find fault and and hatred within her and that's why i think once again why this movie has a kind of particular brilliance is that anyone who comes away blaming lucia or finding fault or negativity about her. Yeah, I think you're once again you're. I think you're revealing more about yourself <laughs> than you are in your understanding of of larger historical issues here in this film, right? And it's it goes back to your your point initially with the Holocaust. It it happened. Yes. Yeah. Fucking a man. Yeah. So yeah, their relationship happened. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. And the way the way that it was built was creative in some senses. I mean, it's it's. You know, it's the abusive father relationship, basically yeah, yeah, writ he large. Calls, he calls it's exceptionally her, Freudian. Yeah, he calls her his little girl. You yeah. know, she obviously still fall falls into that, and he, you know, she she leaves with Max to go stay in his apartment. You oh, know, that, once that I would, they I, I would, okay. just to just to wrap the way that they the way that they got glued okay. together. I mean. There is someone who was raping her, and Max cut his head off and delivered it to her as a gift, yes. which he thought was a biblical expression. He was so happy. I love that scene because he was so happy with himself. He's like, I couldn't possibly come up with a better gift. And she's like really disturbed by this, but it doesn't like, like, but that's not the point. The point is like he was so tickled with himself over that gift. And he was doing her a favor. Yeah. Yeah, that prisoner was bothering her anyways. Yeah, and and which, which is, means that she is suddenly complicit in the use of force. Um, and well, and, and this is this also comes at the end of of what is like the climax scene of this movie, which is the 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 Nazi cabaret where she's wearing the SS hat and suspenders with no shirt on. It's a it's a brilliant fucking it's, scene. It's yeah, it's a fabulous really scene. Really yeah. great. Part and of she's movie. performing for all the Nazi officers, and after this this you know performance, she gets the well earned gift of another prisoner's head in a box. Yes, uh, her another her tor- another uh, yeah. tormentor, right? Yeah. This is what's strange is that even among the victims, 
there are the you know there are there is this dynamic yeah. of torment between the victims themselves seemingly in this also. Uh, this movie does a very good job of making sure no one's a good guy, including yeah. the, the even even like trace characters well, have even no like the, goodness to them, like the, the woman old that, man or the yeah. woman <laughs> that she talks, the woman that he you know that lives in the hotel that he gets the to avoid to service the serve. You know, she doesn't go into detail, but like she's evidently got a lot of trash in the closet that she's not really well, yeah. willing to let air. But Max is is keen yeah. on some of these transgressions as well. Okay, all right, I got some shit here. Okay, <laughs> I I uh, I think there's several dangers that we can make in trying to understand this relationship initially. Um, I think first off, it is wrong to take a kind of allegorical nature to say that Max and Lucia symbolize some sort of dynamic. Um, you know, there is a, a very vicious and virulent um, interpretation that the Holocaust happened because people allowed it to happen to themselves. I think that's the wrong way to, t- so I think it's, that's a wrong perspective to take. I don't think it explains anything about Again, the Holocaust. Again, that's, that's the Freudian component of it is to secretly have wanted it in some way yes, to exactly. let it happen. And I think that that's, uh, you know, I think that's some horseshit, you know, to be honest with you. But it is nonetheless something that I have seen applied to the analysis yeah. of this film and well, their, it, the characters. It's like so much, it's like so much of Freud if it is true, it's true in some trivial way that is absolutely mm-hmm. insufficient as an explanation. And that may just be coincidental. Yeah, no. This, <laughs> in, in a weird way, this film is is not a kind of larger statement about the Holocaust. And the second, this leads me to the second point here, which is that, um, so the term Stockholm Syndrome got bandied about during the film, and I've heard it mentioned here at the table as well. Um I dislike this term. I don't think it applies to this at all. Um, I think that it does a slightly disservice to kind of to, to, to talk about it as some sort of diagnosable mechanism in their relationship. That, that this is a psychological disorder she's experiencing. Like the, 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 the idea that what ha, her reaction to it is somehow typical because it's not. <laughs> um, so I think that so. <laughs> There is a sadomasochistic element to this film, right? Yes. He, I think, very clearly Max is a sadist. He is someone yes. who enjoys inflicting harm, pain on other people. Uh, Lucia has a masochistic tendency in her personality. Especially now, in her passivity. As, as, absolutely. And this is something that is, once again, not to be taken allegorical about the larger, you know, about the Nazi Jewish mechanism. Well, right? She wasn't For, even Jewish. Exactly. There's not any Jews in this movie. Exactly. So the second thing is, is that we, much of an outsider's perspective to S and M relationships in a variety of ways, let's, we can sexualize it even, right? Like that's how most people would understand the term S and M, right? The movie does a fair amount of sexualizing it as well. Well, actually, but that's what you tell someone S and M it's like leather and yeah. shit like that. So like, let's go ahead and investigate it on its own terms as it's popularly understood. Most people find when I when I, you know engage with someone about this topic the odd thing is is that most people think that SNM is about the infliction of pain the punishment the kink which with it's the some pain. sort of like set up environment yes right but but also specifically that it is about the pain that it is about the spanking itself um if you've ever talked to anyone or have or engaged with someone about SNM what the interesting thing I have found, and this is even a Foucaultian idea as well, Foucault, Michel Foucault, is that master slave. Yeah, it is. It is less about the the pain that is experienced, 
and is rather about the the emphasis on the tender mercies that are symbolic out after the pain has been inflicted right if anything it's not about being handcuffed it's about the moment in which you are released from your from your bat from your from what binds you it is not about the the spanking till you're you know till you're raw it is about the tender alleviation of that pain by the person who inflicted it mm-hmm. that is the emotional peak uh from what I have seen and, un- and experienced and understood about the S&M relationship. And this is how that Max's and Lucia's relationship is presented to us. What binds them together is the symbolic and, t- and tenderness that he expresses towards her, despite the fact that we know she's being tortured for 90% of the film. What is emphasized to us is the, is the, is the tender mercies that he, ex- that he deals out to her right it's the he, he's talking about her binding her arm after she's been wounded what he well he kisses it yeah right it is her cl- clearly being coerced to performing nude for this you know group of fucking deviants <laughs> you know and yet it is the bestowing upon her a gift uh of Afterwards. alleviation of her torment of that as well it is and this is what i think is so strange about this is that it it we have to kind of understand that it is a uniquely personal relationship that they experience, regardless of how devoid it is from the norm. Because no matter how much pain a relationship is in, even in our own experience, in our own personal relationships, the reason we usually go back to them is because of the enjoyment and the intensity of that enjoyment that we experience within them, right? We tend to forgive a lot about pain, frustration in the past. If it can lead to a relationship being enjoyable, and experiencing that as well. That's why we're in relationships to a certain extent, is the pleasure in which we have them, in which we have in them. Another another way that this gets construed sometimes that is problematic, ironically gets fixed by adding more letters to this, which as acronyms go, generally speaking, the more letters there are, the harder it is to understand what the yep. hell someone's talking about. But we're not, in, the, we're not the military here, man. But in this instance, um, S&M became a much larger okay, and actually like, what, six it's BDS- B, is BDSM, which is actually stands for six words, not four. Okay. It stands for bondage, discipline, domination, and submission, sadomasochism, or uh, sadism and masochism. The problem with focusing on sadism and masochism is that those are understood, Ryan, as you said, to be about pain. They revolve around pain. That's the, that's the perspective that people have on exactly. that. Exactly. Well, and it's, it's earned because that's what sadism is, is to inflict some form of harm. Mm-hmm. By adding the four letters prior to that, the second part of that that you talked about, the actual meaning behind it, the reason why you would bother to be a sadist or a masochist, uh, makes way more sense, even beyond the master-slave comparison. In order to be in a relationship where one person is dominant and one person is submissive or to be bound and disciplined requires trust. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the trust that you can, and there's only so much leverage you can put in entirely benign acts Mm -hmm. when it comes to trust, because those still fit a basic social convention that you are supposed to be good, unquote, to other people. However, if you can then bind the kind of trust that you're supposed to have in a relationship to moments of actual duress it makes them substantially more powerful. Mm-hmm. And the the easiest example here is war. It's why the terms band of brothers mm-hmm. comes around. It's the idea that you never you never forget any of your platoon mates. It's because those bonds are formed under duress. And what BDSM essentially does is allow you to semi-artificially 
build trust in an environment of duress. So this, this relationship would be even more real under that because it was formed out of real duress because mm-hmm. he could have killed her just as he had killed anyone else mm-hmm. just as easily, and he didn't. Yes, in a sense, although how much she should have trusted him is on the table. Well, not only that, <laughs> but it's it's also problematic because... Like anything about it, we can't divorce it from its context, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's useful for us to do so, like as I, tr- as I just tried to do. Yeah, because it's not like, and I guess, true. she didn't have a choice in the relationship, <laughs> but it was a, yeah, it was a a a bond uh, forged, forged in under, fire. In, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and a that's, lot of duress. And that is, I mean, it's, it is unfortunately and taken even, to a perverse level in a lot of instances, including this I'll one. I'll empathize with Max again. It even, I mean, this is, in that respect, this is even a really strong bond for Max to uphold because, you know, with his background of not wanting to be exposed, it would be way easier for him to have just off Lucia the same way he did Mario the cook to protect his identity. But because that bond is so fucking strong, you know, he... He, he gives her a say in it. Yeah, he, well, he, he, he wants, confronts her about he it. He wants that relationship more than, you know, being able to cover it up. Like, it's that tight. Oh, well, Max Max doesn't act like a master a lot of the time. There's a lot of negotiation between the two yeah. of them. They, are, they argue in a way that suggests that he's not the master. No, and that's why I was trying to maybe inflict the idea that what, what binds them together, right? The, what I was, the, the point of bringing up the, uh, the S&M metaphor to a certain extent was the idea of what drew them together were those was those tender mercies mm-hmm. right was yep. those moments and i think that once again it's a perspective that i don't think a lot of people have because they deal with it in a kind of offhand way about about this dynamic of of sado and masochistic tendencies well, within personalities well, they think as well. it's all about dress up yeah well, and even, it's fetishized yeah and that's not what yeah. it's well but that, that's the thing is that the fetishization angle is completely valid in a large large number of the cases because in order because to, they go, have to manufacture it themselves because to go through the artifice of setting yes, this up exactly. in the first place yeah. There's a strong possibility that one or the other side of this is going to fold, and it's going to become maladaptive in yeah. some way. Well, but then the Holocaust itself is the you know is the, the artifice proven maladaptation. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah. it has come, it has become reality itself, and this is what I mean. But we got to say too that the film is not a fucking. The film does not portray this in any sort of heroic, enjoyable light. The flashbacks themselves. I think we need to emphasize this. This movie is European, and that it is in post-war European, which is that it's in color and is intensely dull. Yes. Right? The colors, <laughs> the colors, if there are any, is the white light. I don't light. think there's like a single sunny day in no. this whole movie. And not only that, but the flashbacks themselves are shown in this sickly, sepia, greenish hue. Yeah. Like the, 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 it all a, looks like the inside of a communal shower. Yes. Yeah, they're like washed out, but green. Yeah, oh man, and this there's a really rough scene where Max, initially as he's taking care of her you know, begins to like caress her and then sticks his fingers in her mouth as yeah. a kind of like sexualized gesture, obviously a sexualized gesture, <laughs> but like the green tone to it. Oh, it's like, you know. Yeah, it's a little <clears throat> nauseating. I think too, the film is trying to kind of show that the 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 sickness of what is what allowed this to be perpetrated as well, right? The, the people look sickly. They look diseased. Oh, yeah, because even when... Is, yeah, it even is represented when, yeah, in a negative light. Even when Max light. is in the, the, the camp, like he doesn't look... 
healthy during any of these no, her flashbacks. Scenes, she, her, her body, we see so much of her skin, and yet the yeah. pallor is so is so gray. And yeah. I mean, they look dead. They, yeah. they look they look dead. They look zombified. And this is what I think is, you know, if you if you get a sense, dear listener, that somehow this film has some sort of enjoyment or some sort of like positivity from like the experience of the no no no, no, no. like that's the other thing is that <laughs> why the critiques of this film is so harsh. I don't find as being necessarily valid because I feel, I'm like, did you watch the same movie that we did? Like <laughs> this thing does not have a kind of positivity about anything that happens in this, in this dynamic or the context of its, of the story. Again, I think most of that is part of the Nazi exploitation side of it where people, where people think that it's cheap. Right. And I, I think that criticism is completely valid. <laughs> I'm just glad again, without, without the, um, Without the relationship between Max and Lucia and the way and the specific ways in which the officers themselves are absolving themselves of sins born under corruption, like it goes somewhere with it. Right. So I think it can be forgiven on that count. Um, but no, I, I absolutely understand the criticism. Well, I, but I think too, what's what's okay. So there, uh, so for those of you uh, uh, Marvel movie watchers, right? So uh, Ian McKellen, uh, who, uh, actor Magneto, right? Yeah. Eric. Um, Gandalf the Gandalf. Gandalf, yeah, Gandalf. Um, so he was in a film in the late 90s called Apt Pupil. Yes, he was. Yeah, so, so if you want to see a good Ian McKellen performance uh, about uh, where he is an, a Nazi soldier, uh, that movie, I think, has a lot to say also about the ways in which American culture has become fascinated with Nazism as well. And it has a pretty good overall allegorical nature to it about, like, you know, this young teenage American finds out his, you know, his neighbor's a Nazi, so to speak. And the film kind of goes on from there about this kind of ex exploration, if you will. Because this is what I think is difficult, is that if we're going to draw a line down this film to say that, you know, is this an exploration of Nazism or is this an exploitation of Nazism? Uh, the two, the terms are relatively close together. Yeah. And I think that this is like by nature how we once again want to draw hard lines across something as well, as I've tried to do also uh, in the films I've expressed my dislike for in the way they portray the Holocaust. But, you know, it, it, I th I've, to me, this doesn't cross the line. To me, this is an exploration, not an exploitation. And I think that that's what I find so interesting about this film, partly because as I found it, it analytically interesting to, to, to my own predilections as well. And that's, you know, makes me strange to a large extent anyhow. But I find this film fascinating. I really do. Oh, you know, I... It, I never I never really took this as an exploit. I Okay, like I said, I definitely see how people would, but it was never kind of my impression of the film I'm, either. I'm torn. I think the movie could have been told without the nuts, with with those elements redesigned, but this, this gets down a very serious rabbit hole that I don't want to spend more than five minutes on. Okay. Because it's not that do you valuable. Do, do you want it now, or do you want to kind of wrap up the film and well, give us some, give some big film, things? Yeah, because yeah, we're almost much, at... Because that very okay. much fits into the critique. <laughs> yeah. So the last 30 minutes, they spend in an apartment in a siege, and suddenly Klaus is willing to shoot Max, which up to this point he had not been willing to do, and uh, then they both die. Is yeah. there anything relevant to talk about? Um, okay, one one final thing is that... <laughs> there Ma is the jelly sex scene. Yeah, there is a, yeah, there is, there is a final emotion, because they gotta they're, have they're, it. Well, yeah. they're starving them out of this apartment. They can't leave. It's being watched. They can't have any food. So it gets it gets a little... Tense in the apartment between Max so get a and little Lucia. Concentration campy. <laughs> so he, but they're but they're isolated. Okay, so what I think is a little bit interesting too. Just as a side note, and we'll get back to the main 
core. Oh, if you got a point, hit. feel free yeah, to no, expound. I'm I'll, just saying. So, but what's also fascinating to me as well is that Max has contact with the outside world, mm-hmm. right? He calls the local butcher, says, hey, why don't you send up some food? Um, it turns out that the the cabal of Nazi trial lawyers has gotten to him as well. Yeah. Um, there is a scene where he where we see he has a neighbor, uh, this old this older middle-aged woman who's seemingly alone yeah. is living across the hall from him. As the situation grows so dire, he goes to her with some money to say, hey, can you bring me some food? And w- uh, there, the, the young bang boy of the hotel is in there as well. And she is he- she doesn't want to help him because, once again, like, everyone is guilty, right? Everyone is, is interwoven in the kind and of And this is not looking guilt. good for their absolution. Exactly. Like, everyone everyone might not have been a Nazi doctor, a, a fake Nazi doctor in a concentration camp, but yet everyone is can guilty. Can be implicated. Yeah, can be implicated in it. <laughs> and they get to them, right? And that's... So Max's isolation is also that as well, right? It's a physical siege, but it's the kind of, like, social siege of, like, no one wanting to like stick their neck out and be exposed for their own complicity in what seems to have happened as well. But people are are both actively guilty and then seemingly also passively guilty as well during this thing also. And I think that was just an interesting dynamic that I hadn't picked up on the first time I saw it as well. So, all right. So yeah, they're in a siege. Yeah. Yes. So they're starving to death. Yeah. They're starving oh, yes. to death. And then they make a break for it and they don't make it. And they uh, reprise their roles, right? He dresses up in his yes. old uniform. Well, because right when she gets to the apartment, she opens up the wardrobe. It's very obvious, you know, he's got his Nazi uniform is still in there. And just kind of the shot and the way it's exposed, you're like, obviously, like he still feels some nostalgia, and that's why he's keeping this thing around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a part of him. And then they, and he's not willing to throw that away. And then they go full cosplay at the end when they make their break. She's wearing the little girl dress. He's in full Nazi uniform. She picked out her for herself. There's yeah. a scene where she's shopping and some antiques. She finds a dress that re- is reminiscent of, of a dress that he gave her in the camp. Yep. And, uh, you know, and and like all European movies from this time period, <laughs> it just does. It ends with both of them. Just getting shot and laying there. Um, but really, there was no other nice way to wrap this up. <laughs> so no, he could have survived. Could have made out. And gone to trial. No, just left. No, and then they could have as many sequels. As but they the, but it's all but the not but the Nazi his Nazi cabal trial people kill yeah, him. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they're the ones who have to because do because he's become a liability. Is basically what it is. Yeah, every everyone's uh, what, but one okay. <laughs> so the emotional crisis that these two feel, there is a way out for them, right? Are we are we yeah, aware of no, this? There, there, is, there, there is. She can testify. Like they they have to basically turn themselves in, but they mm-hmm. won't get killed with uh, that uh, scenario. Okay, I dis- I I think that well, the implication is is that what in order for Max to save himself through the process of absolution, the the, the other Nazis have presented to him. Right, you're absolutely right, David. The trial itself is both. A a a confrontation uh, with your a reckoning with yourself with the crimes that you have committed, but it is also a cleanup measure in yeah. which you can fucking destroy the evidence which would convict you out with the external justice uh, that is you're con- constantly living under threat. In a sense, Max could save himself. I th- and I think the bargain here is that he has to sacrifice Lucia. Yeah. Right? If, if yeah. He gives oh, in. Oh, it's him or her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what that's what they push into this. And he doesn't choose this, right? He, and... No, he does what he's always done. He just hides. Yes, exactly. He, he retreats from this. And I think that that... 
I can't fault him for that. I, I look like I know there's a lot of blame, and I'm not saying he's a good person or anything like that. But like the reaction that he has to this of of giving in, he's like, no, we're gonna siege, you know, we're gonna siege ourselves, we're gonna survive through this, we'll do this together, and they go all the way through this to each other as well. And I think what's complicated, of course, is does Lucia have any sort of does she have a say in this as well? Right. I mean, she, we've kind of laid the grounds that she is complicit in her own fate as well. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't save Max, but she, you know, if she didn't want to buy in, she could essentially have, you know, testified against him to save her ass too. But they're both entangled in this relationship and they're committed enough that neither of them is going to turn, turn on each other. By the end of the film. By the end of this. Yeah. You also get the impression that Lucia, based on her interactions with her American conductor husband, um, whether she could have been said to be genuinely happy around Max, either pre or post World War II, she expresses no no real sympathy or glee at anything except being with Max. Yeah. So for her it's kind of a trap to incarcerate him anyway yeah there's a there's a it's implied in the film i think through several interactions with her american conductor husband that, that he's like, an asshole yeah that well he just does he, like he even says this she's like clearly di- be she's clearly disturbed yeah. he's like he even says that he's you no know, he's like you're just you're just so funny you know like you're just, you know like there's like you're just funny like i don't yeah, like you just, just act off. yeah straight you, you know you act weird sometimes and there I find we go it, there is an allegory in this movie the what? american conductor is normal life oh very good excellent consumerism coke they might as well have a big coca-cola in the middle yeah. of the fucking oh room. we might as well have yeah. one on him yeah <laughs> A cheeseburger in, in Austria. That's, that's in, in Vienna. I get, he's absolutely that. He's yes. blasé, self-centered. I mean, apparently faultless. Loud. If anyone is in this movie guilt-free, it's unreserved. Here. Simple. Yeah. Like it's easy. It's, yeah. Call him as a see him. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Do you read these reviews? You always love hearing the reviews. Yeah. Like this. <laughs> yeah. So so there we go. There I, is one metaphor in this movie. Yeah, and 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 then they're dead. Yeah, and now they're dead. Okay. So. Siege ended. Movie over. Credits roll. Fiend. (laughs) (laughs) But Uh, is it? Uh, uh, Yeah, it's pretty much over. Okay. Yeah. Who wants to, who, who. All right, I'll spend my three minutes right here. All right, David, Um, have the floor. Have the microphone. Again, as I think we've made perfectly clear, I really like the themes of this movie. They do what movies are supposed to do. They bring up a question don't really answer it and then we get to spend an hour and a half sussing out what uh, what the answer to that question might be um full marks for that uh when it comes to literally everything else this movie is horrible um ryan you had mentioned that it was an english movie i mean it's, it's an, an italian it's, movie in english it's an english certainly sounds dubbed and uh it sounds like it went through two uh, localization teams before it got to the United yeah, States. Yeah, no, this is, even though the movie is in English, make mo- no mistake, this is a European, like, Italian film. This, this movie has some of, no, not some, just uh, on average, the quality of the dialogue in this movie is probably the lowest of any I've ever seen in my life. Um, considering what they're talking about, considering how easy it is for what they're talking about to be weighty, none of the lines in this movie stand out. They are all terrible. Um, like I was going this. Thankfully, it saves me the trouble of having to stitch in too much of the dialogue because none of it's poignant. 
Um, all they're doing is saying exactly what they're doing and uh, sometimes tactlessly within that. Uh, we already talked about the flashbacks. The flashbacks in this movie, um, I think, are incredibly ham-fisted. And there's a handful that we even referred to here that I think could have just been omitted and it would have been totally fine. Uh, the one where she finds the dress, for example. Mm -hmm. um, they show her in that garb in the concentration camp. We can put one and one together. There's no reason for her to be buying a dress that looks like that if they're going to be showing her in that dress in previous scenes. That's that's just I mean that that's so American in some way. Like there's to believe that we wouldn't have remembered that this is that this looks like what she used to wear. But the flashbacks are all over this fucking movie and they needed way 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 fewer of them. Um <laughs> There is there <clears throat> some of the cinematography I do like. I do like the um the way that the camera is very, very close, claustrophobic and sickly mm -hmm. in the uh, Holocaust scenes, but I think most of the rest of the time it's very flat and terrible. Oh, the other flashback. It is very it is very flat. Like it, you know, it's just kind of like there and then the the there's, scenes there's, are there's one Dutch angle when it's looking up to the second story of the Hotel Suaper, but uh, other than that, um essentially Unremarkable. The um, when Mario gets killed, how do we find out that Mario uh, was killed? Max is sitting in bed, tossing and turning, and you hear his thoughts as he goes through the scene where he pushes Ma uh, Mario yeah, into the water. It would have been better just to show him pushing Mario into the water. I, I don't know if they couldn't deal with that kind of special effects. I but. think it would have been fine if they just omitted that entirely and we could have put together who the fuck else would have killed Mario. They have a scene right afterwards where they bury him. Mm -hmm. yeah. And everyone's like, they don't think it was an accident. It's like, no shit, it wasn't an accident. <laughs> like, it was so unnecessary. Mm -hmm. It was so unnecessary. Um, but I don't want to harp on it anymore because, again, it's basically, this, this movie's just the culinary opposite of Armageddon in that way, I guess. <laughs> Although they do share an exploitative base one in the murder of all of humanity and one in the murder of a significant portion of humanity. Right. That's all I'll say about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, one out of one stars. You want up or you want me to go? Oh, I, you know, I, like I said, this was, a, it was a bit of a weird pick and you know, this is, this is a movie that I like personally, not that I necessarily think is fantastic. Um, and it's definitely not a movie for everyone. I mean, I like kind of like the slow, draining pace of this film, but yeah, you know, it the script is not spectacular. Um, you know, I I do like uh, Dirk Beauregard's performance a lot, but oh, it the, does, the performances are good. I like it. Does the get it does get awkward in some of the respectfully in some of the more awkward scenes. Um, but I don't know if you can even work your way around it. It's very hard to have good sex scenes in cinema. Like it, there's just it it doesn't get done really well. And this movie does like it does try to have some awkward sexual tension, and I think it does a fair job. Of it, um, but it it's still a little cringeworthy at, at times. I mean, in in sharp contradiction to many definitions that have been wrought over the last hundred years, there is an art to pornography. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's 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 real hard to hit that sweet spot. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, say, <laughs> I'll say, I'll say, 
Um, so yeah, I, not a movie for everyone. Like I said, I don't know that I find this to be a Nazi like exploitation film per se, but it it's definitely an exploitation film on some level. Like just kind of the bad dialogue and the trying to tackle like the psychosexual aspects of it. It it does feel slightly exploitative, but it's I don't know. It's just it's just weird, and I like it. <laughs> Oh, it's weird. Yeah. I'll give you that much. Uh, because these fucking, the whole thing is strange and abnormal. And yeah. Like, it doesn't, I think what's, what I think true to David's point is, is that I don't think the film make, I don't think the form of this film matches its subject matter to a large degree. I disagree with you on the flashbacks. To be honest, we don't, the iconic, I mean, like I said. The, but the, there's, su- there's some you, good you cannot, stuff in those flashbacks. The, the fuck, I mean, for the, if you see the cover of this film, that's the flashback that's I, like we we're joking when i yeah when she does it and she's nude i'm like that's the cover that's the poster yeah. right there i'm not opposed to the flashbacks i just think they were poorly timed and there were too many of them yes uh i can't i can't but disagree with you and i i had i i'm struck by the once again you're kind of you know in the realm of the like mundan mundanity of the of the characters themselves like these are not like you know he, I mean, once again, they're not heroes. We can't portray them as people who have like zingers or elegant language. Well, it's hard to put together a movie where you literally have none of that. Yeah, like th- there's none of that. Well, that's the thing is that like this is what's so strange about it being like exploitative, which is that there is you know some sense that you've left behind the kind of way in which you should portray a Nazi, and it's like no, like these people aren't portrayed in any sort of like light that would lead someone to have a favorable opinion of Nazism. Like, this, like there's not really anything in this. And it's it's so difficult to kind of understand the larger context in which this thing takes place. So I've been doing some reading on Milton's Paradise Lost. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and, um, so C.S. Lewis has a, an essay in which he talks about the character of Satan. And in Milton's Paradise Lost, um, the character of, of Satan uh, is probably the most extravagant character in that in that poem mm-hmm. uh, in that in this in this piece of art and it is kind of like a you know, a larger notion in the wider criticism of the central piece of the english literary canon that milton in trying to explain and justify you know the 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 realm of the divine to human through prose and poet prose poetry gives us the most fascinating character in the form of satan and whether or not this was intentional or not um C.S. Lewis has an interesting way in which he responds to this. He says that um, part of the problem is, is that when you are writing and you have to construct an evil or bad character, he says that it is relatively easy to do this because all you have to do is remove the barriers of your own nature and allow that to come to the forefront. And in order, and what the problem is, is that in order to write or to write a work of genius about something that is excellent or good or divine, you have to imagine something that simply isn't a part of yourself. And this is what I think is kind of interesting when we apply it to the context of this film, which is that one of the ways in which Nazism and the Holocaust does not go away, as I said, is the problem is, is that it happened. And it raises something I think in any person, I, the same way that any sort of like crime or viciousness comes across to us, which is that, you know, is this capable? Am I capable of this? I mean, American society is a society that values violence. Yeah. Right. Our, our most popular sport is violent. 
in which people are abused. We and love our guns. Absolutely. We, we, uh, a huge portion of the population enjoys guns. The most popular films that we watch are not films about like love, forgiveness, tenderness, personal relationships. It's John about blowing Wick, shit up. Which and, is gun porn. Yeah, exactly. It's about blowing shit up and uh, kicking ass and taking names and complete lack of subtlety into the victims of those crimes. The way in which we have to kind of reconcile our own understanding of what art is and the role in which morality plays in our day-to-day lives is something that Americans simply aren't good at. And yet, you know, it is kind of ironic that we, I think, seemingly want to, you know, look at a film that tries to investigate this idea of human nature and it gets panned for this, right? It is explo- it is it is to be rejected in the nuances of kind of understanding this. And I'm just I'm just so struck by the once again, to me, most American cinema is callous. And now, I can break down the barriers and enjoy a good violent film as well. But I refuse to allow that to be the only films that I enjoy. And I think that for a lot of people, those are, they refuse to reconcile with the emotional import of what violence actually entails. And that is why I think that when we talked before, David, uh, we've had several conversations about the nature of violent video games and how they are virtually devoid of emotional import because violence is so callously shown and the purpose of winning is 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 racking up a score in which violence is rewarded well and the violence is almost always by its nature anti-systemic mm-hmm. um that's it's not deconstructionist but uh it's anarchic i guess would be the way to would be the way to phrase it you you are destroying something mm-hmm. and generally speaking that is an attitude that you build up when you think that uh, the structures and systems around you are stifling you. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it recreational to do so. Um, And then you come into a movie like uh, this one. Yeah. And it's very hard to reconcile that because (laughs) even though the structure is what suffocated and twisted these people, uh, they're trying to deal with it and they can't fight that system. Mm -hmm. They're not fighting that system. No, they're not fighting it. In fact, they're they're basically trying to absolve their sins within it. They're they're basically just hiding. (laughs) And it's a film that tries to empathize with people who are trying to do that to themselves, right? The larger guilt of I mean, because once again, I've talked before about how, like, we can't even as Americans, like, try to reconcile and understand that maybe an apology or an understanding that, you know, you know, dropping a nuclear bomb is something that you should, that not like, that, that you should feel that, not like feel bad about it, but just feel that, like, that it's something that you should try to understand and reconcile. But it's like, like, fuck that, man. Like, let's watch some sports, you know? Like, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to have to deal with that or understand its import, or more importantly, apply the lessons to the future conduct that I will have, that we know we'll have to engage in yeah, at some point. Yeah, we definitely don't like fuck applying that. Fuck lessons that. from the past. Well, I mean, look at the way, <laughs> speaking of Nazi exploitation, I mean, in this movie, uh, the Nazis in this movie try to absolve themselves. They try to as win. As if they win. could. As if they could. Well, and they, they try to win uh, by, using the, by using a mockery of the systems of justice mm-hmm. in order to over not like overcome their system but merely to be okay with where they are mm-hmm. uh what does the american version of the nazi exploitation film do what 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 do you do with the evils of nazism you blow them you up you find yep. new ways you to murder, blow them up that you, didn't happen in the first you place you gruesomely murder them mm-hmm. um, yeah inglorious bastards yes. yeah 
Um, and granted, that wasn't Nazis necessarily, except, oh, wait, yeah, there was. There was totally a Nazi officer. Yeah. Was one of the defectors that went in the They totally Bastards. killed Hitler. That yeah. was, that was, I forget what his specific name, well, no, there's there's literally one of the. Hans Landa. Yeah, yeah. Not, not Hans Landa. Uh, well, no, he does the same thing at yes. some point. He turns and runs but um no one of the one of the inglorious bastards is a german defector Stieg, hugo stieglitz yeah yeah, oh, hugo yeah. Stieglitz. Okay. so this movie is so inglorious bastards does in fact have a character that would have fit in the night porter who does the american version of what max should have done yes and i think that it's but <laughs> well, we have to remember these are Europeans. These are not Americans. They do not handle things. Yeah, they're going to handle. Yeah, they're well, going to handle that's, the misery the, in a whole different yeah, way. Yeah, in, in a psychosexual Freudian way. <laughs> our method of dealing with it is they're Austrian t- to slit their throats. Yeah. yeah. So stab them under pillows, blow them up with them. I mean, that has its place, but you know, I can appreciate the fact that there are movies that tackle it in other ways, even if they're not necessarily the best movies. Well, but once again, I think to deny the experience or to say it doesn't have value is to pre is to favor one over the other. Right. Yeah, I'm absolutely. not, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not, I liked inglorious bastards. And I think there is a fucking catharsis of like, if like the, the idea that it could, that it could happen. And the problem is, is that it's okay to know that that feels good. Mm-hmm. Right. They, I mean, the, you know, the, the burning cinema mm-hmm. and every, I mean, yeah. like her laughing. I mean, no, there's, I mean, no, that feels good. Don't get me wrong, but there's a good thing that that is the realm of cinema, right? This film is also cinema and yet takes the, like you said, the almost a polar opposite approach to this thing. And I don't think that, I think the problem is, is that we're not, a, a, most people aren't emotionally nuanced enough to kind of, at least once again, not come away from this experience having enjoyed it. But Roger at least, Ebert. Yeah, Roger <laughs> Ebert. But at least going into this experience and knowing that it, it's it's wider emotional context and something that is that is immensely, immensely emotionally complex. And that's something that I want to, you know, I like to revel in a little bit rather than, you know, kind of getting a little judgy-judgy like I fucking know how to interpret Holocaust and media, you know? Like, no, I'm going to kind of open myself up a little bit to this and try to see no, what I, it has to tell me about it. I watch this movie about every seven or eight years and it, you know... Like the way I feel about it changes every time, mm-hmm. you know, because there's just, yeah, there's like a lot of just psychological, just torment that you kind of have to work through and decide how you feel about it at the end. Absolutely. I don't want to have to decide, Nicole. <laughs> I just want to know. <laughs> well, then you can take the more American approach. So, David. David. Speaking of our next film. Yeah, no, I'm not, okay. I'm not picking Inglourious Bastards. Uh, um, I don't think that's not, Criterion. It's not Criterion yet. Uh, indeed. Right. <laughs> so, As with every Coen Brothers, Wes Anderson, and Tarantino film, it will someday be a Criterion, but it is Wes not Anderson is the darling. He gets, he gets grandfathered he gets immediate in immediately. Cur- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, what, so David, you've got, a, you've got a theme to meet here. What are we, uh, what are we doing? What? Um, City Lights. City Lights? Yes. Like, Charlie Chaplin. No, Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin. Nice. Yeah. The only alter the only one I considered doing aside from City Lights. I've never seen City Lights to be fair. It's really? just a movie oh, that this is, I don't never, think I've seen it I've either. I've never seen a Chaplin film all the way through, so I just want to get that out of the way. But um uh, the other one I was going to potentially do because it could have turned into a grand, insane experiment, which I decided now that I'm reading the stand, I don't have the time for. Um <laughs> Was to do the original French Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, Cocteau, So that yeah. we could do oh. that one and then the Disney one. I'm not watching a Disney exactly. movie. Exactly. <laughs> I figured it was going to take some effort. So instead, we're going to do City I would have watched the Cocteau one. I'm not watching this new shit. And with that. And there with we go. That. that fucking statement made. Good choice, David. Yes, <laughs> yes. 
It wasn't my choice to make. <laughs> but it was. Uh, Nicole, Ryan, yeah. thanks for being part of Thank the you. Log. Good morning, everyone.